This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome back to the Heroes of HP12, the Wiccan Wanderers podcast powered by the fans. I'm Michael Kenny, and I'm joined this week by Adam Cooper, Dan Clark, Dara John, Damien Farrar-Hockley and Chris Spratt. This podcast is all about giving a voice to the fans of our great football club. Each episode aims to deliver high quality, in-depth discussion on all things Wiccan Wanderers and now you too can take part in future conversations. Getting involved couldn't be easier. Simply go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash heroes of HP12 and leave us a voice message via the on-screen instructions. Again, that's www.speakpipe.com forward slash heroes of HP12. Leave us a message and you too can feature on a future episode of the podcast. Coming up, we're previewing our trip to the Lancashire coast for another must-win game against Morecambe and having a frank conversation about our out-of-contract players. Who do we want to keep? Who do we say goodbye to? And where will Blooms be looking to strengthen for next season? Bit of breaking news here. We've all seen the news at this point with regards to Peterborough uh, receiving a suspended three points deduction. Uh, I think we all have something to say about this. Uh, who wants to kick us off? Like the blue touch paper. Off you go, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is just absolutely bloody incredible, isn't it? Let's be completely honest. You know, Mr. I'll tell every other football club what to do over COVID has uh, just scored a massive own goal. These guys are nearly, very, very, very nearly as bad as Milton Keynes Dons. They are an absolute hideous outfit. And I say this with a little bit of bitterness after visiting in uh, in the new year and uh, being made to sit on what can only be described as a park bench and pay 30-odd quid for the pleasure. Um, but to hear that they have been criticising us and others for cheating for the last three years, and they've cheated themselves, is utterly, utterly, utterly blood-boiling. It doesn't surprise me, because they're just that sort of club. The people who are involved have always lived on the side of caution, and it's at times like this that I'm glad we don't have owners who go spunking money up the wall here, there, and everywhere, 
to chase success that go looking to spend money on absolutely unnecessary morons to run our football club. And I think, you know, I the only people you can feel sorry for at times like this are the supporters of the club. And the supporters of that club, I think, uh, are a little bit like us. They're fully aware that they're a small football club, but they are run by absolute jerks. And that's the only way of putting it. And it just makes you realise how lucky we are to have the guys that we have at the helm. We're not going to agree with everything that our owners do, but guys, this could be a lot, lot, lot worse. Um, we could be run by the Muppet Show. Okay, those sentiments, to be honest, I think, you know, we've got a couple of owners, uh, well, a, a group of owners, a family of owners that, uh, you know, care about the club. They, that You can see that they care about the club. And they're doing trying to do things the right way. So well, we say this, and two two years down the line, we'll find out we're, we're uh, a victim of one of these points deductions as well, maybe, but who knows. My point really is about the fact that how many times do we have to have something like this happen before we get an FA or, sorry, an independent regulator come in? It's just needed. I mean, how many clubs read in last week? I think there's something, there's a stat out there that, says in the last 15 seasons, I think something like 12 of them have been have had points deductions involved or something like that. I mean, these clubs are going to keep doing it. The owners are going to keep doing it because it is a playground. It is a, a, a playground for them to try and cheat and find as many loopholes as they want. The fact that the EFL haven't been consistent at all in terms of suspending, the, the fact that they suspended the points for this season or next season, no, it should hit them where it hits them now. It should affect them now. And I'm not saying that because we've got a vested interest because obviously it benefits us quite nicely if they lose three points. But it's, you know, they're they're going to do it again anyway over December, but then uh, up until December. But then, you know, when are they going to get caught out again? And then does that three points not count because, you know, they've been found out in January or something like that? It's it's just, there's no consistency from the EFL. There needs to be a regulator, simple as. Well, I do agree with Dan on a couple of things. I think, first of all, we do definitely need an independent regulator. And I think that needs to come with increased funding for the lower leagues. One of the reasons why we're seeing teams so willing to bend the rules is they want a chance to get at money, getting to the Premier League, or even in the case of League One teams getting to the Championship, that's four, five, six million you get for getting to the Championship. You're talking hundreds of millions for getting to the Premier League. So I fully agree we do need an independent regulator and we need increased spending for the lower leagues. But I do think, especially with Adam's rant, let's say, I think we're being a little bit harsh. This was not them overspending on players. This was not them overspending on wages. This was not them spent breaking financial fair play or anything like grounds, definitely even like Derby County. This was one person who was brought in who wasn't registered. That's they're cheating now, aren't they, DJ? That's the that's the point. It's no, but I, but I think any other we... business in the world has to do that due diligence, and as a football club, you're expected to do the due diligence on the people who run your club. And regardless of whether or not they've cheated as badly as Derby or as somebody else, they've broken the rules, and there has to be one punishment for anybody who breaks the rules. Otherwise, you just get absolute anarchy. And I do I, I do agree with that. But what we tend to see nowadays is the EFL has, if not completely consistently, has tended to give suspended sentences for the first period of infractions. And if they are repeated, then provide bigger punishments. We saw that with Reading, where they got suspended sentences. Then when they continually failed, they got the punishment. That's what's happened with Peterborough here. 
they've got the suspended sentence because it's their first infraction. As far as we're aware, that's the first major fuck up they've had. And I where think... do the clubs stand who have had, you know, the Lutons of this world who have had huge points deductions because they're yeah. uh, because they're a small in inverted commas, a smaller club, where do they stand? There must be some sort of legal standing that these clubs, there's a number of clubs, you know, Macclesfield were, were virtually beaten out of business. For pittance something as well. In, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, for absolute pittance. Something that in my mind isn't as negligent as this. Um, and they've been battered out of business. When is there going to be a fair and just punishment? Um, it can't just be, oh, we like Peterborough, we like the owner, we like Barry Fry, he's a funny bloke, we're going to give him a three-month suspended sentence, but Macclesfield are tiny, so we're going to stick them out of business. It is an absolute joke. Why should they be given a second chance? They've broken the rules. I don't understand where the suspended sentences come from. They've broken the rules, punish them. If you've got the punishments there and you're going to suspend them, what's the point of having them? Because they're just te- other teams will do this just to get a suspended sentence out of it. When are we actually going to have another season where there isn't any team or any campaign that's been affected by a points deduction or suspended points deduction? I can't remember. I mean, Dan made a point of how many clubs in the last 15 years like have had a points deduction in some way. And I know this one is suspended, but again, yet again, we've got another season that's being affected by off-the-field matters. I think we're all in agreement that there needs to be uh, consistency with the rules. If you've got one team in one league that's receiving a points deduction, slam bang, middle of the season, they get the points deduction right there and then. There's there's a bit of confusion. There's a lack of transparency as to why the suspended, you know, why the points deduction has been suspended. DJ, I know you mentioned obviously, you know, first infraction, and there seems to be kind of a, a level of severity in terms of the punishment. I feel aggrieved as a Wickham fan, given the fact that, you know, fine margins of the season, right? There are only a few points uh, above us. The three point deduction right now would make where it would completely open up the season. And reading online, there are a lot of Derby fans that are not very happy with the situation at all. Yeah, and I want to say, especially Wickham and Derby fans, I think we're all going to be very unhappy because this affects us personally. Derby got the points deduction. That was suspended in the first place that got us relegated and then got them relegated the season after. And now they're going in the playoff battle with Peterborough and they're not going to get a points deduction. But the thing is, we can't look rationally at this because we're involved in it. And that is one of the things we need to get with a reformed or new independent regulator is somebody who can make these rational decisions. We're fans at the end of the day and we love Wickham. We're not going to be able to look at whatever Peterborough's done. We're not going to be able to look at Reading or Luton or whoever it is and know all the details and know all the facts and look at it outside of the lens of being Wickham Wanderer fans. How does it affect us as a club? How does it affect our playoffs? How does it affect our transfers? So I know we're all annoyed about it, but I think we have to not be less angry, but try and understand that these decisions are being made for a reason. And even though they affect us, that's just... That is what it is, honestly. I don't think they have to affect us. To me, the sensible thing to do would be if something comes up after Christmas, then they start the following season with minus three points or you put a cut off in. I personally, my gripe isn't that we're three points off the playoffs. We're three points off the playoffs because we failed to win games that we really should have won. Burton Albion, for for example, the the big thing for me is that this is a this is a chairman who came out very very publicly in the middle of a 
global pandemic, which we've never seen, and said, we have to carry on playing regardless of whose health it risks or it puts at risk, regardless of which football clubs it puts out of business. We have to keep playing because it suits us. When the Football League, rightly or wrongly, made the decision that it was going to be PPG and that benefited Wickham, we were criticised so heavily and so publicly, not only by Peterborough fans who were rightly pissed off at it because, you know, even as a Wickham fan, I think it was a ridiculous decision. But we were criticised publicly by their chairman, taking a very, very, very opinionated stance. If you're going to do that in the public eye, you've got to be as clean as possible. And they're quite obviously not. You know, what's the old what's the old saying about glass houses and throwing stones? If you're going to mess about with your own business, don't criticise anybody else's. And that's what's really riled me. I couldn't give a monkey's if the points were if the points came off last season, this season, next season. To me, it is the principle of it. They've got a they've got an owner and an administration team who, when it suits them, they're all fine and dandy to go dancing in front of the cameras. But when it doesn't suit them. It's a different story, and it, I am just hacked off to the back teeth. Not only Peterborough, but I'm hacked off to the back teeth with terrible owners and supporters of certain clubs failing to see past the end of their nose. We turn our focus back to this past weekend, the long weekend, uh, the Easter Games. Good Friday saw the Blues take on inform Ipswich Town, a side who prior to kick off were on a seven-game winning streak and hadn't conceded a single goal in almost a month. Those travelling to Portman Road hoping for an epic upset would be left disappointed, however, as the hosts maintained their form with the kind of performance you'd expect from promotion contenders, a brace of goals either side of the half condemning the chairboys to our heaviest defeat of the season. The pressure was therefore significantly increased for Bank Holiday Monday's game against Forest Green Rovers, last year's League Two champions, all but relegated already. Anything less than a victory would almost surely end our playoff push, but the impressive Chem Campbell and an own goal courtesy of another wicked JJ Corner ensured the Blues bounced back with a vital 2-0 win. Dan, a bit sweet, a bit salty and a bit sour, but we're still in with a shout of the playoffs. What did you make of our mixed Easter campaign? Oh, sweet, salty and sour sounds like my Chinese order, so <laughs> very nice. Um yeah, it's a mix. We've done we've done a few of these where we've had a couple of games on the trot and we've reviewed both of them and and we seem to have come off a either a crap result and then a good result or a good result and a crap result. So I think Ipswich, Wickham Twitter went into massive meltdown, didn't it, after Ipswich? And you know, it's not pretty. It's not nice to see your team lose four nil. But this is a team that has spent massively. You know, all the all the accounts are coming out this week, and there's teams in our leagues that have paid above the odds uh, to basically go for broke and try and get out of the league. Um, yeah. So it's which one of those sides. I, I, you know, I, we're coming up against a side who weren't conceded. I mean, obviously they conceded against a very poor Alfie May goal on Monday, but, uh, you know, they look good. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they went up automatically. It was what it was. I think the one thing that disappointed me most was the fact that we didn't actually look like we fought much for it. I don't know. It just seemed like we were a bit, lethargic and we were like resigned to losing appreciate the fact that blooms tried something a bit different with the formation it didn't work that's fine but from a tactical approach it's just nice to see him doing different things to try and react to different results 
I'd, I'd just leave it at switch there. I just think it was a, it was a crap game. We don't like losing 4-0 and we move on. Thankfully, against Forest Green, we did that. We got the early goal. We seem to get early goals against Bloom, uh, you know, against with Blooms against teams. It's, it seems to be doing us nicely. But I think Forest Green showed us why they're going into League 2. They just look average. And, you know, I, I don't think they gave us any trouble at all. I think the weather didn't help. Um, it was that windy that, you know, Folks, he was joking about a JJ goal from a corner. It was going to happen. I mean, there's there's absolutely, you know, every chance in the world that JJ was going to score directly from a corner. And if uh, Charlie Savage didn't edit in, that would have happened. Um, but it's just nice to see that they've, uh, you know, Wickham are taking my advice of giving the possession to Forest Green and we'll win the game. So it's it's not too bad. But the fact that overall, you know, there's 12 shots overall in the game. Oh, sorry, no, eight shots. And four on target tells you how much of a very poor game it was, really. Both teams look like they want to be on the beach. But we've got five big games to go. We've got Morecambe, Cambridge coming up in the next in the next week. Two massive, massive games that they're not going to be as easy as we think they are because they're both fighting rele- for relegation. So we never do really do well up at Morecambe anyway. So we'll see how we go. But we've just got to win every game now. That's the only way we have a chance of getting in the playoffs is winning all five games. I'm not going to say too much about Forest Green because it was just a good game. It was honestly a bit boring. It wasn't the greatest watch, but we controlled it fairly well and we got three points from it. So I'm happy enough with that. But the Ipswich game was a bunch of cods walloped to me. It was such bullshit. Look, I understand Ipswich are a brilliant team. They've spent three, four, five million. They've got all these players, that's no excuse to go out there and look like you're afraid of playing them. And in yeah, that five that. Back, in our five-back formation, we we looked like we were going out there not to get beaten. The last time we played Ipswich, we won against them with a four-back playing out from the back. Why did we line up so defensive, so depressing, looking like we just wanted to get it over and done with? You, there's, there's no excuses for being scared of the opposition. That's what we look like. Abject fucking terror on their faces whenever the Ipswich players ran at them. That's what I'm annoyed about. I, d- I don't care about losing the Ipswich. I expected it, but I just wanted to see something. Show us a bit of heart, some fight, and we just didn't. Do you think Bloom's kind of got to, you know, the, the occasion got to him a bit, maybe? I mean, obviously, he's playing against his boyer club. It's the team he supported. It's the team he was involved with from an academy early at his coach age. You know, it was, it was a big game for him. Do you think it was... Maybe the nerves kind of made him switch it around. I think it's a mixture of the nerves and maybe thinking in his head, look, if we can hold them to half time, then we can hold them to six. I understand the sort of tactical aspect to it. I think it's something that will come with experience. I don't think Ainsworth would have played, played us that way, but Ainsworth had 10 years of experience. Bloomfield has, what is it, six months experience? That is something that will come with experience, with time, with matches, with games. So I understand why he may have done that, but it's just a bit naive, to be honest with you. But it's something we'll move past and build on. I think the writing on the wall for me was was there the moment I stopped off at Beaconsfield service station to pick up my um, egg and sausage McMuffin, and Ipswich Town legend Matt, Matt Holland walks through for services past the Greggs in the way that their midfield seemed to walk through past us a, like a couple of hours later. And then to be stu- have a standstill on the A12 for two hours in the, exactly the same way that our attackers seemed to have a standstill during the match for the first bloody half. That's exactly what it was like. 
it was just one of those games for the first half hour. Actually, it was quite positive. We were comfortable in possession. Admittedly, we weren't having a great deal of chances, but neither were they. And there was a point where they were starting to look to hit a few longer balls and they weren't coming off. And I think for us to concede in the manner we did, albeit having watched it back about four days later because I couldn't bring myself to watch the highlights straight away, you know, it was a bloody good cross. But we have a kind of side I don't really expect us to concede from a set piece. And I think that was the disappointing element, was that first cold to be conceded in the manner that it was. And then a second before half-time, it's just like football basics. If you're 1-0 behind, don't concede a second. Go into half-time, keep it 1-0, aim to play for the last 15, 20 minutes, keeping it tight, and then who knows? And it was that second goal that was for Sucker Punch. And the second half... You know, it was just like watching a different team. The performance was just abject. There seemed to be no ability in terms of like holding one or two or three or four passes together. Um, any attack seemed inept. And it's easy to blame that just on Bloomfield. But we've had those defeats under Gareth as well. You know, the Brentford loss isn't that long ago. In the season we got promoted, I remember we got thumped at home to Coventry, got thumped away to Sunderland, and they were pretty abject performances as well. So... It's easy to say, would it have happened? And maybe it would have been different under Ainsworth. But kind of that first 20 minutes, I felt was better than when we played Ipswich at their place last season, albeit they weren't as good last year as they were this season. Do you think the fact that we were missing uh, an out-and-out striker like Vokes, I mean, Hanlon, as much as I love the guy, is is a wigger or a, a place behind you know, the top, top man. Do you think the fact that we missed Vokes probably... We we had no outlet, did we? Really, we didn't look like we were going to score. Did the ball ever get that far up the pitch for us? To be fair, that is true. I mean, I think with him and McCleary out out of the team, you know, that is a hell of a lot of attacking potency, for, like out of our side. And I think with Campbell on the bench as well, there wasn't really many options we were going to have. I think you know it was looking to exploit Hanlon's pace, but there's only so long in a game that that's going to happen before actually his effectiveness is going to run out. My, I was really, really surprised when I seen it. It's gone five at the back. Bloom's first game, I want to say it was Shrewsbury. They've all kind of rolled into one, but I think it was Shrewsbury well, away. Started five at the back. Um, <clears throat> the first 25 minutes, it just didn't work. Um, and he reverted to four at the back. JJ playing as a wing back <sighs> is, is difficult. We all love him, but he just doesn't have the pace of an Abita or a McCarthy. I think if you were going to play five at the back and you wanted attacking, expansive wing backs, then, you know, maybe play a McCarthy there. But I think I personally would have gone with a four. That said, as um, as Chris said, the first 20 minutes I thought were quite positive. Um, we could have had a penalty. I think it's one of those. I've seen it back about five or six times and... I've changed my mind every time I've seen it. I can't decide whether it was or it wasn't. But it's one of those, if you get it and you score and you're 1-0 up, you know, you can, uh, in great Wickermondra's fashion, you can shit house a 1-0 win and, you know, everybody's raving about you. Timing of the goals, were, as we've already touched on, really, really unfortunate. Look, Bayern Munich got dicked by Man City yesterday. It, it happens when you're playing good sides with good players. It can happen. And I'm not overly worried about it 
what I was really worried about was going into Monday was that heads were going to be down, players were going to be disappointed, they were going to be knackered from Friday, Forest Green were going to be up for it, and um, and we might uh, we might see a negative result on Monday. I was really really pleased with the with the reaction that Bloom's got. It felt like the players really wanted to win for him, and seeing some of the players and Bloom's after the game. It was all really, really positive. It wasn't a great game. The weather was horrible, like we said. It's so We've all played those games where, you know, at some sort of level, whether it be kids' level or Sunday league level, when the opposition that you're playing is so bad, it actually makes it more difficult to play against them. They have one or two. Um, little Savage, I thought, looked pretty good in flashes. The lad on the wing, I think he was number 11. He looked all right. But... But, you know, on on the whole, they were a very, very poor side. And I think with with a fully fit, fully firing squad, I think we, we go and beat them four or five nil. But the result was positive. We kept a clean sheet. Easter Monday is always a weird fixture. The atmosphere is always a bit funny. You know, people are either on holiday or they're waking up from a hangover. Or it's always a bit of a... It's always a bit of a weird game. It's a bit like the Boxing Day fixture. You know that as a Wickham fan, you're either going to win 3-0 and be delighted or they're going to ruin your Christmas. There's never really a happy medium. It's just a bit... Bleh. But, you know, to come out of those two games with with a positive three points and a good reaction from what was a poor day on Friday, um, I think I'm quite pleased with. There was certainly no lack of no lack of effort. I think the direction was just wrong. You could almost describe that formation as a 5-4-1. I think as a manager, when you're telling your players you're going to go out and play a 5-4-1, it's planting the seeds in their mind that you're going really, really defensive. And when you go 1-0 down, it's very, very difficult to turn around from that. And I think that's probably what happened. But um, yeah, not too worried about Ipswich. Positive on Monday, but it's only positive on Monday. If we if we uh, follow it up on Saturday, I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. I think the way you... We need to look at Friday is that there was two factors for me. One, the fact that they felt so aggrieved at losing to us earlier in the season and they it fired them up. Despite their form, I think they were extra fired up for that game because they wanted to win and just show us where we supposedly should be. The second factor is the fact that Bloomfield is trying to play a different system to their Ainsworth. Ainsworth would have shithoused his way to it. We may still have lost, but it would have been a one or two nil. Bloomfield's trying to play an expansive football and basically it's the reason Ainsworth did what he did because we haven't got the players to play expansive football and they just took, tore us apart. When you come to Monday's game, <laughs> the atmosphere felt like a pre-season friendly for me. It was so flat and the game was a bit like that as well because Forest Green offered nothing. They had what, I was amazed because I watched the Wednesday play, when they played Sheffield Wednesday and they Played really well, and the uh, young lad up front for them on that day gave him real trouble. He, c- he couldn't control the ball on Monday. And um, if we'd gone up, we had two more gears to go up, and we could have won five or six nil if we'd really gone for it. But we didn't. Monday was all about the result for me, and that's what they got. So we've talked about what has been. We're going to talk about what's to come shortly. But what I want to do is cast our minds forward to the end of the season. The end of the 2022-23 season is drawing nearer to its conclusion. And as it does, talk is inevitably going to turn to the future. For many professional footballers, this is a difficult and uncertain time. As of recording this episode, 25 Wiccan Wanderers players are presumed out of contract in the summer. 
That's over 69% of our entire playing squad. With the mid-season change in management, some sort of overhaul should be expected. But how big or small that turnover will be remains an unsettling unknown. Guys, this is the big talking point, I guess. We have a number of first-team players, some generals with considerable experience who could leave us in the summer. Who should we be keeping? Who do you expect to leave? And uh, where do you think, perhaps more importantly, we need to recruit ahead of the next season? Before before I let us all get stuck in, I'm just going to quickly list some of the big players that we have who are out of contract in the summer. So we've got Streck, Tafazoli, Thompson, Vokes, G-Mac, Willis, Horgan, Freeman, Obita, McCarthy, and TJ. And that's just for the people that have kind of been pretty consistently in the first team this season. Guys, what do you reckon is going to happen? I think first of all, and this is a, a, a point I always make this time, this time of the season for, for more casual fans, you have to bear in mind that we are talking about the livelihoods of, of some young men here. Yeah. These aren't professional footballers who are on 250 grand a week and are going to shrug their shoulders if they don't get another contract. There's some guys here who, if they don't get a contract, may not get another go in professional football and are going to be back at work like the rest of us. So I try and say what I say with as much respect and as much humility and as much understanding as possible. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think I think the bit, there's a couple of real big ones for me. Um, the first one that I personally wanted to talk about is Tafazoli, who I think, has gradually become less of a top-level League One defender as the season has gone. I think when he's on his game, when he's at his best, go back to Peterborough away again on um, on New Year's Day, he was an absolute Rolls-Royce of a player. But the constant injuries that he has is a real worry to me, and I do sympathise with him being six foot seven like him. I'm not as much of an uh, as an Adonis as he is, admittedly. <laughs> but um, the injuries, the joint injuries, the back injuries, um, the neck injuries that you get when you're a taller person, you can't avoid. So it's always going to be difficult to, for somebody like him as he comes into the twilight. So, so for me, with a heavy heart, I would be saying, thanks very much, Taff. You've been amazing. You're always welcome back as a coach or whatever it might be. But moving forward, we need somebody with a bit more consistency. Secondly, Tomo has been one of my favourite players for for a number of years now. And I think he falls under the same banner as Gape. And that is that if we are confident that they can be fit for a large chunk of the season, then we should give them a go. But I think off the back of the last two or three seasons, there are huge questions about whether or not they're able to stay fit. And the others, I think we'd all like to see Vokes day. I think most of us would like to see a beaters day. I don't want to uh, steal anybody's thunder and uh, go go through the whole squad without giving the other guys a chance. But um, yeah, for me, I think the difficult decisions are around Tafazoli, Gape, and uh, and Thompson, and it will be very very interesting to see uh, to see how they get on. There's one player for me who I think is a real question mark, and looking at the list, I don't I don't know if he's out of contract, but Lewis Wing, for me. He had a 10-game purple patch in the middle of the season. He's done nothing since. And if he is under contract and someone comes in for money, then we should get rid of him. 
because he he wants to play in championship i think that's a difficult one for me because i think wing i think part of the problem is is that matt's playing him too deep bloomfield is playing him far too deep and he is not in the same position as he was when he had that great spell and i think that spell gave him that freedom i think he is such an essential part of this midfield uh, i really do and the problem is when josh is out you know when you've got a defensive midfielder that's out you know at the moment freeman's coming on and he's 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 a good impact sub at the moment, but that's because he's playing in the role that Lewis Wing should be playing in uh, with that creative freedom. And that's that role that he just needs to start. Every time I look, I watch it and I see Lewis Wing playing just in front of the defenders, I fume. That's not where he needs to be. He needs to be further up the field and I would keep him on that basis. Yeah, I, I also think that to get the brilliant Lewis Wing that we saw for that sort of 10 or 12 game purple patch. And Damien, you know what my opinion was of Lewis Wing at the beginning of the season more than most, because you heard it after every single away game. Um, he needs Josh Scowan in form. If Josh Scowan plays well, Lewis Wing plays well. And I think when Scowan has been out or perhaps not on his game, Lewis Wing struggled a bit. And I think that sort of fits in around with what you're saying, Dan, that he's probably playing too deep. And Mehmeti going would have been a great opportunity to yeah. get him further up, further up the pitch. I actually think, though, keeping Lewis in a sort of deep position, I do agree he excels further forward. But having somebody who's capable of coming back, taking pressure off the defenders, getting the ball from the centre-back, especially the way we've played, where we've had the centre-back splitting apart, the full-backs very wide, and having Lewis or Scarron drop in. Having somebody like Lewis who can come in into the centre, take the ball and make a great pass to either side or through, is very, very invaluable for us in breaking the press. So even though, yes, he's been employed in a role now that's less about pure goals or pure assists, I still think there's a very valuable role for him dropping in more mm. of a deep-line playmaker rather than whatever you want to call it, a box-to-box midfielder, a centre-attack, whatever you want to call it. Having him summon up his passing ability, his dribbling ability, coming deep, to relieving the pressure on Farino, Tafazoli, who, let's be real, they're not Alfie Morrison, they're not the best passers. Is something that's really, really good for a team of our standard, of team of League One. So I think it's, at the moment, once we get GMAP back and Vokes back, we can accept having Wing in that deep position because we will have the attackers available to get Wing's balls and create attack and movements without Wing having to press far up. But even you see it, TJ or Kem, they'd get the ball in the wing, and you'd see a lot of time Lewis coming in beside them to take the pass and bring it back into the middle or play it to the far end of the pitch during far screen which is something that helped us relieve tension and to create more passing. So I think it's something that, yes, he's not getting the goals he did in those 10 games, but he's still a very, very valuable member of this team. I think you touched on a point there, though, um, Dara, just in the fact that when McCleary and Vokes come back, we need them. We've missed them massively. But that demonstrates how much depth we don't have in those positions. And that, for me is the most important place that we need to focus on in in the summer. We need, if folks, if, I, I really want folks to say, because he, he offers so much and I think he's got that uh, experience, you know, listening to him on Monday as well. He's he's obviously loving the club. Um, you know, he, he, he loves being in, around and involved. And I think he's at that stage of the career now where he, he could quite easily retire here. Um, I want to keep him on because I just think he's brilliant, in, in especially in helping the younger strikers come on as well. But we need depth. We need someone behind him. And I don't, the, the problem is we're, we're coming into this where we don't know how much they are on terms of wages, how much wage budget we have available. So we don't know how how our depth is going to be impacted if, you know, for example, Vokes does go if he's on a big wage. 
definitely agree with what Adam said. You know, at the end of the day, we're we're talking about League One players here. They're not, you know, this is this is a career that you know they're probably on similar wages to to some of us in in some instances. So you know, I, I don't really want to speak ill of people, but um, I think we've got to look at you know how many games some players have played. Obviously, we you know we touched on Thompson and how many games he's played over you know the last three or four years, and if if we are going to be challenging. Um, to become, you know, a championship club, we've we've got to use that budget towards players that are going to add that depth that we need. Because this season we have struggled because we've had injured players, and that's, you know, that's the crux of it. I think as well we have actually players out on loan who I think should come back in. Dowell Horgan, not the greatest player ever to grace Wickham's pitches. I think he puts in the shift every game he plays. And I think somebody coming off the bench can play either wing, can play in that centre attacking mid role that Wheeler plays in currently. I think he's definitely somebody that we should look at and go, do you know what? You're a good servant. Let's keep you for another year. I think Demani Mello, he's not set the world on fire, Watchdale. But I saw something at the start of the year when we were creating attacks around him. He was seeing things two or three seconds before the rest of our players. And that was actually one of his problems. He was getting into spaces too quick for the players around him to realise what he wanted to do. Part of that comes from Manchester United heritage he's got a much higher youth academy standard than a lot of players we do for example I'm looking at the list Wakely came from Brighton I think Horgan was Hibernian he was in Chelsea but he actually went on loan to Brighton in their youth academy which is weird weird thing to do I think Demani Mella can come in and sort of rotate with Vokes and allow Hanlon I think Hanlon's better on the wings I think as a holding striker, he it's 50-50 when he gets the ball. He's either going to take on the man and do very, very well, or he's going to take on the man and the pass of shots going to just go nowhere. So having a striker for Vokes in a young lad like Damani should work, but we do need more attacking options as well. They were two players, actually, that I haven't really sort of given a lot of thought to. I think the the problems that, um, that Hawks has had recently have have made his situation very, very difficult. He's not managed to get huge amounts of football recently. Wife was pregnant as well when he was with us, and you don't know what sort of effect these things have on guys like that. That said, I think I I just haven't seen enough from him for a player of that quality. Um, If the reports are to be believed, he's one of the top sort of two or three highest earners at the club. And I think if that's the case, then then that's another one where we shake hands. We say thanks very much. You know, best of luck for the future. And cheerio. Mella, I've got no problem with him staying on in more of sort of a a development squad point of view. I do think that there's a little bit of he's seeing stuff that other people aren't. He needs to get in the gym. If he's going to play up top or even on the wing at this level, you cannot apply the Forrest Gump tactics of just being quicker than everybody else. He is nowhere near strong enough. He's got bags of ability, but he is nowhere near strong enough to play League One football. I think that's why he struggled down at, um, or or up at Rochdale, down in League Two. So, yeah, I wouldn't be adverse to him staying on if if Kean and the team can can get him in the gym and bulk him up a bit. I think he could be... um, he could be a really exciting prospect. But for me, love to see Vokesy stay, regardless of whether or not he stays. We've got to go and sign a forward with experience at this level. I'm not one of these who says we need a 20-goal-a-season striker because it's just a stupid comment. Everybody needs a 20-goal-a-season striker. But 
we need to go and sign a forward with experience at this level. And if we play the right way, you know, they'll score goals. Well, you've got to remember as well that, you know, over the last two seasons, the majority of these first teamers that we're looking at here have actually got us 83 points and upwards of 60, 70 points this season, if all goes well. Um, That's what we've really got to kind of factor here is that these are good players still. I said this at the beginning of the, you know, at the end of last season, beginning of this season, I'm happy to go again with these with this group of players because they they've done us well for two seasons. We've had two solid seasons of uh, promotion promotion chasing in very very difficult, you know, conditions. Uh, they're very very competitive leagues, so I'll give them a go again. Um, I think, as I say, it's just that depth. I think the development players, we, we really need to kind of give them, you know, a couple of years. I noticed this morning as well on the season ticket um, message that they came out uh, was talking about getting down to development games at Adams Park. So that demonstrates that they're probably focusing on bringing more development games over the next couple of seasons. So we will see a lot more of these players as they go on. And they're probably looking to grow that at that point as well, because we don't have a full development squad really at this point. So probably, you know, right reading between the lines, I think there's, there's going to be a lot more development. I can see the majority of those development players signing on for next season. One position I think we need to look at uh, very seriously, and I've recently just voted in my player of the season. Are we going to be able to keep Max? Oh yeah, I've, I've Max's dogs told me that he signed a new contract. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> stations, yeah, that's that's all confirmed and signed. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> Even if we do sign him, what do we do about backup goalkeepers? We could loan in somebody like Carwright again, or Tyler Dickinson's coming back. We've got Blonkill. I'm not too averse to using some of the young lads as the backup players. I'm not sure Wolves will let us have, have their goalkeeper back again because we didn't play him. But what you call it as well, Max, if you go, you see Wing, there's transfer rumours, you see Scowin, there was people. You go in anywhere, nobody really knows about Max Striak, to be perfectly honest with you. It's not a case of that he's a bad player, he's fucking fantastic. But nobody... he's appearing on the top of the lists, stat lists, and pe- that's what people will look at. Yeah, but people aren't looking at that. They actually, they actually aren't, though. When you go in most places, if you, if you ask who's the best goalkeeper, they'll say Cooper... They'll say a couple of other names. They won't. Nobody says Max. Maybe it's because they can't pronounce his name. One one name that we've not mentioned in much detail is uh, Jordan Nabita, whose contract is also up. And uh, you know, Adam, I, I know that you've mentioned looking forward to seeing him return to fitness and getting him back into the starting lineup. Um, we do seem to be kind of short in depth when it comes to having a kind of a pacey left-footed back uh, fullback. Um, what is everyone's thoughts on? keeping a beta and and of all of the names i know we've mentioned you know doing our best to keep voxy who of these players who are out of contract in the summer who should we be prioritizing keeping looking at this list i think the priorities are max sam gareth and tina debar and you won't agree with me with this jason mccarthy i love jason do you know what he does that a lot of players in this team don't he appears Every single game and puts in a shift. It's never a seven. Out, it's never an eight out of ten. It's never a nine out of ten. It's never a six out of ten. He always comes and puts in a good performance, and he goes home. You know what? You have to respect it. Jordan Obita does largely the same, and not of a wing. And we're all going to say we should keep Obita. Some of you might say we shouldn't keep Jason. I think Jason Obita on both sides do a very, very good job. 
Is it a case of having to potentially, with limited resources, having to pick one or the other? I don't think it's a case of having to pick one or the other. My problem with McCarthy is completely agree, DJ, is that the effort that the guy puts in on every spell that he's had at Wickham has been fantastic. His performances are just too inconsistent. And I think when you look at the quality that Jack Grimmer gives us at right back, um, when he's been able to play in his right position because uh, the squad's been so thin, um, Jason McCarthy is nowhere near of the standard. No, but Grimmer's um, actually put Jack in his Grimmer. best performances for the team at right centre-back, not right back. He, he, he has, yeah, but he's also been fantastic at right back. And I think he's only he's only played there by default. It wouldn't be a plan to start your season with JJ and Grimmer as, uh, as centre-back. I actually at would at this point say your plan is to play Grimmer as one of the right-backs, if you, especially if you're looking looking to get rid of Ryan Tafazoli. Would you not think about Chris Freno and Grimmer as the two centre-backs? Because I would. Not as a full-season plan, no. I mean, I, look, they shouldn't come into it. He prefers playing right-back. Um, I think somebody like that, you want them to be happy. You want them playing in their comfortable position. Uh, I think what Grimmer gives us going forward, also we've missed when he's played centre-back. Talking about a beater on the other side, I mean, when he first came in, I was his biggest critic. I just didn't get him. Now, I think he has been silently one of our top performers he is a vital 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 part of what we do and we've seen since he's been injured very much like Scowan you don't necessarily notice the work that he does until he's not there and that was evident on Monday quite a lot there was a a few balls spraying out to that left-hand side and you think oh if Jordan was there you know that he's, he's picking that up and sticking across it I think Jordan is is a very very important part of the squad um, I wouldn't be disappointed if McCarthy signed. Don't get me wrong. I like the guy. I think he's a really, really good guy. He's a positive guy to have around the club. He's brilliant with the kids. He's brilliant in the community. I just don't think he's been particularly consistent. But um, in answering the question, for me, Jordan Abita is is uh, a top six League One defender. And that is the kind of defender that, that we need to be going and getting if we've got aspirations of going up. I totally agree about Abita. I think he should be signed straight away. The thing I'll say about McCarthy is he's versatile. It hasn't happened very often, but I genuinely believe he's the player we put in if Scowan's in or suspended in that central midfield because he's done it a couple of times for us and he's never let us down there. So he is a versatile player. You can move him into different positions. That's why I think we should stick with McCarthy. Luton at home on Boxing Day a couple of years ago, Demo, played holding midfield. It's the best performance from a holding midfielder in a Wickham shirt I've ever seen, bar exactly. none. He was absolutely outstanding that day. And I don't think it's something that we've utilised enough. Might be something that Matt looks at. And but, he puts um, in yeah. the same way as Scowan does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like what was said at the start, it's never easy talking about this. You know, some people that are going to be let go uh, are looking at very uncertain futures. So I'm glad that we were able to have a conversation kind of bearing that in mind. Uh, Whatever happens, whoever leaves us, they've served the club excellently and they leave with nothing but our thanks. Uh, We move forward to preview this weekend's action. We head, the chair boys head to the Lancashire Bay Area, once again looking to keep our promotion dreams alive as we face off against relegation-threatened Morecambe FC. Winless since a narrow victory over Port Vale at the end of February, Derek Adams' side are stranded in 23rd, five points from safety, having played two more games 
than their relegation rivals. Adam, the Mazuma Stadium hasn't been the happiest hunting ground for us in recent years. With so much at stake for both sides, what are your expectations going into the game? I've taken the decision that the last two times I've been there, we've lost. And the last time I saw us win away, I think, was Peterborough. So I've taken the decision to give this one a miss. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I would as well. And, uh, and yeah, I think that uh, that kind of tells you how important it is to us in my mind. Um, I think by hook or by crook, we've got to come up there and get a win. And whether that's a scruffy, horrible 1-0 win from a corner from an in-swinging J- uh, from a JJ in-swinging corner then then so be it you know it it would be nice to to be able to say yeah this is the game that we're going to go out and thump someone but we are we are genuinely jinxed by that place we we never play particularly well there it's not the greatest place to go and play it's a nice little ground um but it's always really really windy it doesn't matter what the weather's doing outside the stadium it's always Baltic freezing inside, and and like you say, they're scrapping for every single point. It's not going to be a great game, I don't think. You know, I'm confident that that coming off the back of a good result on Monday with GMAC, hopefully Voxy fit as well by the sound of it, that we can go up there and get a result. Um, I'm not confident it's going to be pretty and littered with goals. If we look at the facts, we haven't won there since 2015. That's eight years. They're a different proposition to Fleetwood because they're still fighting for survival, could actually achieve it, whereas Forest Green pretty much down and out. But it's Derek Adams. We don't like him. So, and they're in the relegation zone for a reason. So, you know, let's go for it. I think if folks comes back, yeah, it's, you know, it's every chance that we're going to win it. I, I, I think I'd like to see uh, McCleary a bit, you know, a bit more kind of as well. We've just, it's got, we've got to win it. Simple as, there's, there's no other, we can't draw it. We can't lose. We, we have to win if we stand any chance of getting to Wembley so yeah it's it's just it's one of those it's do or die that's why we love this time of the season it's interesting to point out though they haven't won in their past nine games it's draw loss 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 draw loss loss draw loss draw in the past nine games that's we a Wickham have... loss then incoming. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it does sound like a perfect time for Wickham to concede an 89th-minute goal from a corner or something stupid like that. But I think when you look at the players they have, I've, there's only a couple of players I'm looking that concern me. Connor Ripley has actually been a fantastic goalkeeper. Fair enough to him. Cole Stockton has been misfiring the season, but you know he knows how to put the ball in the, in the back of the net. Omar Nias, he's quick. He's rapid. That'll, he'll give something Chris for Chris Fino to work with. Did but now against when we played against Burton last season? No, he was shite. He, he, I, I was, I was went away, and he did a lot of work. He did scare us a little bit, but we were playing very well at the end of last season. I think we have to look at this, and I am expecting a win. It, I don't think it depends on a vote to come back or not. I think we'll have the quality there. G Max coming back in, Gabe's back in, even with Kem playing very well in that last game. TJ still playing phenomenally. Hanlon, he's Hanlon. He runs about a lot. Needs to be in the right position. Yeah, but I think we have it to win this match, and we we we, sh- we should bloody win this match. We've got to look at the fact that it's not exactly a cauldron we're going into, is it? Let's be honest, the crowd's not going to be much of a factor to play against us, unlike it's Richmond with 30,000 people baying for blood. <laughs> and it's also, like, like you said, Dan, it's Derek Adams. 
just got to do it. There's, there's, there's no other, no other way of looking at it. You cannot let that guy have one up on you. I'm sorry, he's just, he shouldn't be. He's just a. Uh, uh, I don't want to go on an MK esque Adam rant about <laughs> Derek Evans. I've forgotten how much you I loved could. him. <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> uh, so genuinely, Bruner, if we lose that. Oh, I've, 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 I've risked getting thrown out with the abuse I've thrown at Adams at times at Adams Park. <laughs> just, I just can't stand the guy. I just think he is worse than Joe Barton for me personally. Morecambe score predictions. It is uh, as Dan says, do or die. Uh, what do we reckon the score is going to be? DJ, kick us off, please. Normally, I'm the pessimistic one. I'm actually going to be quite optimistic here. I think it's going to be three 0 I think we have the quality to put them to the sword, and I'm going to um, cry if we don't. I think we're going to win two one. That's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> no, no, nothing else about uh, your mate Derek. <sighs> I hope he'll get sent off. That'd be good. That'd be a plus point for me. 2-1. We'll be 2-0 up. We'll be sitting comfortable. Then they'll get one back in the 70th of minute and it'll be a nervy ending. But Derek Adams will have a ball to the groin and we'll all laugh. Oh, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I feel I feel worse about this game than I did at, before the Ipswich game. I'm going to be positive and I'm going to say that we're going to scrap a 1-0 win. But um, that is definitely my heart over my head. Um, I've got a got a horrible feeling that we might be walking away from there with a with a scrappy nil nil or perhaps worse i'd I'd like to say two nil but i just it's just they're they're scrapping they're clawing they're derek adams plays scrappy clawy football and uh knowing the conditions of the ground knowing how blustery it can get it does seem to throw the lads i think we'll go one nil down but i reckon we will claw our way back into it and get a really dramatic 89th minute hopefully Vokesy header but you know we'll, we'll have to wait and see there we go i'm going 2-1 to the wickham and that'll do it for this week thanks for joining for another episode of the heroes of hp12 podcast if you haven't already please subscribe on spotify apple or google podcasts and if you're loving the podcast please help us out by leaving a five-star review you can follow us on twitter at heroes of hp12 you can follow adam at apcwwfc Dan at Dan Clark PR, Dara at Wickham DJ, Damien at Damo1507, and Chris at JG's Long Fro. Don't forget you can also join in the conversation by sending us voice messages on SpeakPipe. Want to share your opinions on matches and other aspects of our football club? Go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash heroes of HP12 and leave us a message via the on-screen instructions. We'll be back next week for another glorious episode. Until then, stay well and come on you blues. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.